0: Good morning. That's a set of plans. This is what an engineer or an architect would come up with to communicate to a contractor how to build something or renovate it or just, this is, these are the instructions, the instruction manual, which is ironic that men are making instruction manuals, isn't it? I was an engineer for ten years, and um, when back then the lines were blue, now they're, they're black because we do everything digital now. But back then they used ink and printers, and even before that they used to be all blue, and the lines were white. They called them blueprints. You still use that expression today to describe, uh, you know, the plans, the design, and then they became called blue lines because they went to white paper and blue lines, and now they're I don't know what you call them now because I'm so far removed The reason I bring these up here and my this hard hat uh, Is to say that God has designed something that he wants us uh, To to build now when as an engineer one of the frustrations that I would experience would be When my plans were out and the contractor had the plans and they began to build what I had designed that they didn't always read the instructions or they didn't always do it the way I designed it. And it was a little frustrating. Sometimes because they actually had a better idea. And that was not enjoyable for me to experience. But, um, and sometimes they just wouldn't do what was best, what was good. And so it wouldn't be as good as what we had hoped and what we had designed. We live in a time and an age where the world is redefining the design for the family. Now this isn't new. This has been happening since the beginning of humanity, right? The family has been defined and designed by people or redesigned uh, because we think we can improve on what God actually designed. Starting with marriage, moving to parenting, and all the rest. But what I want to do today is I want to take you back to the words of Jesus. I want to take you back to the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul and just looking at just a few help us remember what is god's design for the family how does god tell us we should live as family in such a way that we will thrive in chaotically evil times like today okay that's my goal today so we're going to go to colossians 3 so you can go ahead and turn there Um, It will also be on the screen, but but also if you will turn to Matthew chapter 7 Because uh, I also want to uh, I want to start with the words of Jesus um, there Okay. Before I start, I'd like to to pray again, if we could. Let's pray. Lord God, these are not my words, as you know. You wrote these. And so, Lord, as I prepare to share and, and teach and enlighten. Uh, Lord, it is not my job to do anything but just shine a light on what you've already done. So Lord, I pray for you to help me do that. I pray that your spirit will speak to us in, such, in ways that we will understand so that we might be changed to become more who you want us to be. And we pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 7. So Matthew is, was one of Jesus' disciples, right? He had 12 disciples, one of them was Matthew. Matthew wrote his account of the life and, and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And in this, he includes Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew record this sermon, which if you read it, doesn't actually take that long to get through. It doesn't surprise me that Jesus is a much more efficient preacher than I am. Um, he he in verses 24 through 27 though He comes to the end of his sermon and he basically says if you don't remember anything else remember this Or he says if you want to know how to apply what I just said here Here's here's why you would want to do that But I I, I saw something here that I don't think I'd ever seen before you got, you all know I've I quote this a lot so, let me go back through it, basically preach really quickly, or teach real quickly, what is this parable that he is teaching saying, and then tie it into Colossians 3. So, this is a parable, and a parable is, is, is a, it's a kind of a, a story of, of something he's trying to communicate, an abstract idea he's trying to communicate in a very tangible way, something that we can relate to, like a house, okay? This one says... I know it's kind of hard to see. Let's see. Let's try that. See if that helps any. A little bit. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus is speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the floods blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Two men, two houses, two foundations, two storms. What was the difference? In essence, we see that one man chose to use a different building material for the foundation than the other. And Jesus says there is a foundation that will help your house stand when the storms of life come. And there's a foundation that will not. That your house will crash. Now here's what I didn't catch earlier and I think is here. I may be wrong. I believe that part of the definition of house or home could be the family. Because I believe that when God began to build our world and he built the culture, what did he start with, right? He created the the land, he created the water, he created the stars, he created the the, the sky, he created the plant life and the animal life, but then he created Adam, humanity, and he said he's different than all the rest of creation. He's different because he's created in the image of God. And he said, and he is good, this is good, and then God said something for the first time, He said, something in creation is not good. It's not good that Adam's alone. And so he said, I'm going to give him the perfect answer to that what's missing. All right? And he created woman. And we have the first family, truly the first family, first lady, (laughs) right? We have the first couple. We have the first marriage. Which tells us that marriage was created by God. God designed it. And he calls us to live in light of that design. He doesn't want to be frustrated that we're trying to improve on his design. Because how do you improve on the design of the one who created you from scratch? Right? And yet we live in a country that has literally redefined marriage. Marriage is not a social construct. Marriage is not something that people came up with because it was practical. Marriage was given to humanity by God in the garden before sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, it's been damaged. Okay? But it's still his design and it is his desire that we would live in light of that. So when I refer to the family, I'm referring to marriage and then I'm referring to What results with good marriages usually is kids and then grandkids and then generations later we have lots of people, okay? So now I want you to think about this parable in light of that. If you want to build your house, which is figurative language for your life, really, but if your life, if you boil it down, what is your life? It is you and the family you choose or get you're born into, good, bad, or indifferent, And it's what you do as a family. It's how you as a family live and function. And Paul, in in the letter of Colossians, he's going to explain to us some basics that are on the plans of God's design. Okay? But what I want you to see here is that the wise man built his house on the rock. And that foundation is more imagery that's found in the Bible. The rock in the Bible usually signifies something very, very stable. When it's talking about a rock, when it's talking about the rock, it's referring to God, or more specifically, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, okay? Now, I, I know it's a little confusing when we talk about, because you'll hear us use these phrases interchangeably. We use God the Father, God the Son, or Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We use these interchangeably. And let, me make, let me just make a real quick clarifying statement. There is only one God, Okay? And you're not him, by the way. Neither am I, right? There's only one God, our creator. And he is so big and so complex and so mind-blowing that we can't understand how, what he's really like. He's just, he's, he created us with a word and boom, here we are. So um, he, he's so big that to express himself in a way that we can better understand, he chooses to reveal himself to us in three ways. He reveals himself as God the father And he has fatherly attributes even though he's not quote really male he He carries that because that's important for us to understand what he's like He, re, he also reveals himself as a son Okay Or a king or a messiah all of which we would describe to the bible describes to as jesus Okay Jesus the christ jesus of nazareth first century and then God also reveals himself as Spirit, God the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he's called the Spirit of God, sometimes he's called the Spirit of Christ. But basically, it, God is Spirit, and he reveals himself sometimes very subtly as that. And the Bible teaches that when we trust Christ, the Spirit of God moves in and gives us the ability to do all the, incre- the, all the incredible things he calls us to do in his word. Okay. Even when we, He even gives us the want to, to do it. So I I do use those interchangeably from time to time and it just seemed like a good time to clarify that. Jesus, God in the flesh, says wisdom is to build the family on the design that is built on the word of God. That's the rock. Sometimes Jesus is called the rock. Sometimes Jesus is called the word of God, the living word, the written word. All of these things are all saying basically the same thing. The foundation that we build our lives, our families on are the words that God gives us because his word is trustworthy and true, okay? If we build it on anything else, no matter how impressive it sounds, it's gonna collapse, okay? And so that, that's what we're seeing here. So now let's go to Colossians 3 and we're gonna look at just a few verses here. And Paul, uh, we've already read this, some of this letter. We've preached a lot of this letter, the book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, one of the followers of Jesus, okay, um, he wrote this letter to Christians meeting in church, the church of Colossae. Colossae was a city in modern-day Turkey, Colossae, the region of called Asia Minor back in the day, and, he, and there, they needed some real, they, that church needed some advice, and their pastor, Epaphras, traveled all the way to Rome, where Paul was in prison for his faith. He was imprisoned by the Roman authorities because he was preaching Christ and the Jewish leaders didn't like that. And so they kind of finagled Paul into prison. So Paul is there, but he's able to talk to this fella. So this fella comes and talks and he says, I need your help. And Paul says, let me write him a letter. And so he writes the letter, which we still have today, 2,000 years later, okay? And, And because it's been preserved and considered scripture, we see it as God's word. Okay that's what we th- we see the Bible as God's word because we believe that this is what God wanted us to know about who he is and what he's about and how that should affect the rest of us. So um so he sends this letter and they read it to the church at Colossae and we're still reading it today. Among all the things this book is about, the main thing this book is about, this letter is about the supremacy of Christ. Okay, what that means is that god the father has chosen to elevate his son jesus as supreme He created the the universe through his son jesus He 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 reveals himself over and over through the life death burial and resurrection of jesus christ, which is why the new testament is so important Many jews did not recognize jesus to be the messiah. He claimed to be Okay, but he he um in his life death and resurrection he fulfilled so many prophecies it's really hard to argue that if you look at it objectively but they they they're still waiting for their messiah we believe he's come and many jews believe he's came and became followers of christ which is what a completed jew looks like so here's paul saying what is the design that god has had whether you look at the jewish scriptures whether you look at the christian scriptures it doesn't matter when you look at what god has said about the family they all line up because God doesn't change. So that makes sense that they would be consistent. So what did God say? How did he define the family? So he did it in two letters in particular, this letter, Colossians, and another letter called the letter to the Ephesians. And we're gonna refer to Ephesians 5 and 6 briefly, so you might, it's just three pages back, okay? Because he expands it a little bit there. But let me just go through these verses. Let me just read these four verses and then I'll unpack them and we'll be done. Wives, submit submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will be discouraged. So we'll stop there. Now, um, what I'd like to do is just kind of walk through this. Because again, my job is not to rewrite any of this. My My job is to shine a light on what God has already said and help you and I live it through some um, just some thoughts on that. So let's let's tackle that. So we see he's basically he's basically spoken to um, four groups of people, You've got wives, husbands, children, and then back to fathers. And he gives each one instruction, okay? So the first one is wives submit. This is not a popular word in Western culture, is it? It's not a popular word really anywhere because no one likes to submit. What does it mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean obey. There's a distinction here. There's a different word used for children, obey. He didn't say wives obey your husbands. He said wives submit yourselves. The word submit implies voluntary, uh, a voluntary action, an action that you want to do. Now, I'll admit there have been times when I've needed to submit to an authority and I've been reluctant to do so. Maybe I did it because I didn't want to reap the consequences. For example, whenever a cop pulls me over, I submit and pull over when the blue lights go in my rearview mirror because I do not want to resist the authority that has been placed over me. Is that officer any more valuable than me? Is he or she any more important than I? No, we are both created in the image of God and we we're both very important to God. He treasures us both. But that officer has been given authority over me. And therefore it is my proper role as a good citizen to sit, submit to that officer to maintain order in what God is doing in our in our culture. So submit has that idea. Now, if you want to turn back to Ephesians, um, just a couple pages, let me share what Paul wrote in his other letter about this, because he, he expands on it just a little bit. He tells us why. Here's what he says. And I'm going to read in verse 21 through 24. Paul writes. Again, he's writing to Christians Submit to one another out of reverence for christ We'll come back to that Wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the lord So that tells you hell tells her how to submit How would she submit to the lord? Willingly um, consistently um, with surrender and hopefully with a desire Although we don't always have that desire admittedly 23 Here's why for the husband is the head of the wife as, this is a simile, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, okay? Who, now, the church isn't a building in the New Testament. The church is not ever called a building. It's never defined that way. The church is defined as the people of God gathered in the name of Jesus. That's what, that's what church is, okay? Okay. So when he refers to the church, he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the people of God, also known as the bride of Christ. All, those image, all that imagery is talking about those of you in the room that trust and follow Jesus. We're, we're family, we're, we're together, we're called the church. So the reason is for the husband is the head of the wife. This is by God's design, remember, not our opinions, as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So if the church is called his body, the body needs a head. The body. What does the head do? The head directs the body. It tells the body what to do. And the body submits to the head. My hand doesn't usually argue with my mind, although there have been times when I've done things I wish I hadn't done or shouldn't have done or whatever. You know, but basically my the rest of my body submits to my brain, my mind. Why? Because it's the head, and it all acknowledges these guys. This is who's calling the shots, for better or for worse. Right? Consider what you're working with. Work with me here. Okay. So there's there's that. Now, um, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. In other places, Paul explains the reason for this. Also, another reason for this. Two other reasons. One reason is, and I can't go down this road very far because of time, but one is Adam was created first. God could have created Eve first. He didn't. You can ask him why if you want, but he did that order. And then second, when it came to the tree of needing the fruit, Eve was deceived, Paul says. She was deceived by the serpent, tempted, and gave in to that deception. Now, Adam was there too. We don't know for sure when he came into the picture, but he came into the picture in time for her to then eat the fruit and then offer him a piece. And what did he do? He took the fruit and he ate it as well. Now, did Adam already know not to do that? Yes. Adam knew better. Adam was not deceived. Adam was rebellious. See the difference? So, This is why the seed of sin is passed through Adam, because he was responsible for the family. He did not protect her. As the male head, he should have stepped in and intervened on her behalf to protect her from the enemy who was tempting her, and he did not. And so God holds both of them responsible for their actions, but he holds Adam responsible for the sin that is passed down to you and me today. She was deceived. He actively rebelled. And as a result of that, we see that she now must submit, ironically, to the one who rebelled. Isn't that interesting? Because he's supposed to represent Christ. And through the grace of God, that can happen. He, men can represent Christ well, just like women can. But in this submission role, this family design, God has made it so that in the context of we submit to one another, verse 21. There's a, there's a, um, there, there are different roles for different people, all of whom are equal. So husband, wife, children, all equally valuable in the eyes of God, all made in the image of God. And yet, children have to obey the parents. Why? Because God designed it that way. Does that mean that children are inferior to adults? No. It just means that their role as children is to, you gotta grow a little bit And learn what it means to submit to authority because you're going to go into the real world where the authorities aren't going to be so gracious. And you're going to have to face police officers and judges and teachers and administrators and crosswalk security people, right? And all the different authorities that are in our lives. And you're going to hopefully have learned to submit to authority because it's in your best interest as well as culture's best interest. And hopefully through the discipline in the home, you've learned that that's a wise way to go because it's painful when we don't obey authority that God has given us. So God has structured the family so that wives submit to husbands and children obey parents. Okay. Now submission is not. I tell you what to do. You do it. Because if you notice in verse 21 of Ephesians, it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So. So what that means is while here it's specifically saying wives submit to your husbands That doesn't mean that he's not also submitting to her It doesn't mean that he's not at times submitting to his kids There were times in my family's life. We have we have four daughters. They're all grown up and out of the house now They're all married. They're no longer our they're no longer children They're still our daughters, but they are end. they're adults They're independent adults and they're functioning on their own and they um There were times when I would say something to them and they would push back. They would say, well, why? Or they would challenge, right? I'm sure your kids never did that. But they, and, and there would be times when my, I was in a good enough place to where I recognized that there needed to be a conversation. I needed to, to, to deal to, to not just say, no, it's my way or the highway. And as they got older, this was more and more common and I would listen to them, and I would hear what they had to say. And there were times when I was wise enough, humble enough, I don't know, to actually submit to their suggestion and change what I said. Now, was that wrong? No. I hope not. I don't think so. Because we're to submit to one another. We're to recognize that God can speak through any family member, Now, I have a responsibility for the family as a father, and therefore, I need to think that through from that perspective. But I do not need to think that I'm the savior, because I'm not. I'm not the king, okay? Jesus is king. But I have been given this role as a father, and that that when an ultimate decision needs to be made, there are times when somebody's got to make the decision, and when mom and dad, husband and wife, disagree, how do we make a decision unless somebody has the responsibility to make a decision under those circumstances. And so in practice, in our marriage, Anita's sitting right over there, she can check me on this, you can ask her all you want. That doesn't usually happen in our home. Because usually what happens when we're making decisions is we're talking it through and there's lively debate. (laughs) Because believe it or not, we don't always agree. Okay, because we're married and we're, you know, just like you and everyone else when you're married You don't always agree. That's okay. You usually get it the better answer when you Have good open humble conversations about things to make those decisions But there are times when you've got to make a decision time is out and and you may not agree But somebody's got to make a decision. I'll give you an example So about a week ago, I think it was last week We I got I called somebody to come and do a quote for us to do gutters on our house They came out and she wasn't home, so she wasn't able to be a part of the first three-fourths of the conversation. So this guy was good. He could sell, all right? And he had me pretty sold on these gutters for lots of lots and lots of money. And, and so I was, I was about ready to, to sit. But she came, and she, I said, hey, why don't you come and sit in on the rest of this? Because he had really asked for the husband and wife to come and be a part. And so she came, and she sat in on the last part of that. And... You know how the salesmen are, right? It's like, and if you act today, I'm going to give you this extra bit off, right? And then he even played the pastor card. Oh, and because you're a pastor, we're going to knock this one, you know, right? And so she's listening to all this. She's watching and she knows what I'm thinking. She already knows where I am. I don't have to say a word. <laughs> and so we're not going to make a decision on the fly. I know that we don't do that. We were like, we're going to talk about it. Well, I need to, you know, tonight is the deadline. And we're like, okay, so we're driving to go get something to eat. We, it's just one of those days where you just got to, and, and we're on our way, and we're having the conversation, and I could tell she is not for this at all, okay? And so I challenged, push a little bit. Um, I've learned enough to recognize when I don't even need to push hard because she knows, uh, she's so wise. And so in, in, a, in a few minutes, right, it was pretty quick. Uh, we made the decision, no, we're not doing this. And I was like, okay, what's for dinner? Just like that, I was good. Now, I submitted to her in that way because I believed that was the right decision because I believe God speaks to her just like he speaks through anyone in our family, okay? Submission is a beautiful thing when it's done well. And it's a horrible thing when it's done the way it has been done to extremes in our world over the centuries, okay? So... Here's here's what I would say to you, because I think it's really common for people to struggle with this word. And this is why I'm spending so much time on it. Submit. Because it is such a nasty word in culture because of the abuses. we got to remember who's designing the family. If you believe that God is good and you believe that God is great, that means he's able, then why would he give us words that would lead to anything other than what we would think would be awesome for our families, Right? He's not going to lead us down a direction and a pathway that is hurtful for one or the other in a family. He's going to only design what's best. Because why? He designed us from scratch. He created us in his image. And so he gives us the theological explanation in Ephesians for the husband is the head of the wife as the Christ is the head of the church to say, I've designed this family thing to do more than just make babies. Did you realize that's not the main reason he did it, that that's not the main purpose of marriage? The main purpose of marriage, and by extension, the family, is to show us what the relationship should be like, when done well, between Christ and his people, okay? The imagery the Bible uses is Christ is uh, the groom, and the church, collectively, we people are the bride, and while that's kind of weird for us guys, you just need to think, realize he's using an analogy to try to communicate something that's really, really big, okay? So he's using this imagery and he's saying, Christ is the head of the body, we are the body. Christ is the groom, we are the bride. Therefore, just as the bride submits to Christ, who is their creator, by the way, the The wife submits to the husband. To do what? Because she's not as good at being? No. Because she's not able? No. Has nothing to do with her abilities. Okay? I I think we could look at a lot of families and go, if we were going on abilities, she would be the head, right? I mean, it was just not based on that. It's based on God's trying to communicate something to our people, to our children, to our culture. And that is, I have a hierarchy because there's a better path. Okay? And it is when you follow Christ... He's only going to lead you in the right, holy, good direction. Okay? And when a husband is yielded to Christ and loves his family as Christ loved the church, when that happens, then you're going to feel like you're being led by Christ. It's going to look like that. And this leads us right into the next one. In Colossians 9, 3.19, it says, husbands love your wives. Okay? And do not be harsh with them. Okay, let me comment on harsh and then I'm gonna drill down on love. Do not be harsh with them. Okay, so one of the roles of, I I don't, well, I don't care, I don't care. Okay, so one of the roles of, of the husband is to protect the family. Okay? And for most of history, he does that because he's bigger, stronger, faster, whatever. Okay, call me a chauvinist or whatever, but that's physically generally what's the, that is generally the case. And so his job was, you know, keep animal out cave. You know, whatever, whatever the situation was, um, you know, protect the family from intruders or danger in whatever way is needed. When a husband speaks harshly to his wife, He is robbing her of the security he's supposed to be providing. When he gets angry and yells at his wife, she doesn't feel safe anymore. Now, it depends on the relationship, right? And it depends on the pattern and their exceptions. And there's times to yell, get out of the road because they don't see the truck. I get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're angry and you rail on her, and you get in her face, or you get red-faced, that, that is, never okay to be, is never okay to be harsh. You can speak firmly, you can be direct, but if that love doesn't communicate in the midst of that, then you're, you're not gonna be heard, and you're gonna scare, and, and you're going to rob her of the security that she needs and wants. And you want her to want those things. Those are good things because if she feels secure and there's a good relationship between mom and dad the kids feel secure Starting to see the order here Okay, now let's go to ephesians and let's see how it's expanded paul expands this here in ephesians And he says this husbands love your wives Just as christ loved the church. Well, how did christ love the church? He tells us and gave himself up for her to make her holy. And he goes on and on. But to, he gave himself up for her. How did Christ give himself up for the church? How does that happen? What did, what did he do that gave himself up? That sounds like surrender, right? That sounds like, um, a, a, That sounds like a selfless sacrificial act, doesn't it? And that's exactly what he did. That's referring to the cross. Where Jesus went, though he had never sinned, he had never broken a law, and yet he was, he went through mock trials, and they, they called him guilty, and they tortured him, and then they nailed him to a Roman cross and crucified him. And here's the thing, he knew that was going to happen, and he did not resist. He submitted. Now, he knew it because his father, God the Father, sent God the Son to do this. for us. And Jesus submitted to his father to be a blessing to us. He submitted out of love to his father, but we're the benefactors. We're the ones who get the reward, the benefit. And that is how a husband is to love his wife. Husbands, men, future husbands, our actions... And our words should be such that the pattern of them communicates to our wives a sacrificial love for them, a selfless love for them. It just, they, that's the standard. That's what God calls us to. And no, it's not fair, and it's impossible apart from him. But he doesn't send us to do it alone. He makes a way for us to do this with him, He's not expecting us to do it on our own. We cannot do this any more than a wife can consistently submit to her husband without Christ. We need Christ to do this. But isn't that part of the design? Absolutely. This is why our relationship with Christ is so important. It's not just a religion. It's a relationship. It's all about knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ. The family is where it plays out most intimately, most simply, most profoundly, and it impacts not only us and the city block we live on and our, and our neighbors, but it impacts the world. It is why we have a war going on, because somebody didn't grow up in a family that taught this, and so they're behaving accordingly, right? Doesn't that make sense? So the last couple are very straightforward. Children, obey your parents. Children are dependents. Okay? So I would go as far as... to So children are grade schoolers and below, teenagers. And I would go... In our culture, man, it's like they want to be kids longer and longer and longer. Okay, well, then this goes longer and longer and longer. If you are a dependent... You're still acting like a child if you're not adulting and on your own and paying your bills and living on your own You're still a child You know children became men at 13 in the jewish culture back in that day Just saying the bar was a little different there. Obey your parents in everything There's that old submit and obey word that kind of working together there Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Ephesians, he gives us a couple more reasons. I'll just read them. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. One, for this is right. Right and wrong. It's just right to obey your parents. Number two, honor your father. Now he's quoting the the, uh, Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So it's going to bless you and those that you bless and you're going to live longer longer is not always better unless you're also healthy So you're going to prosper and live longer in the process One other word on honor, there's a difference between obeying and honoring We never stop honoring our parents Okay, children can quit obeying when they quit being children But you never stop honoring your parents And the way you honor your parents is how you speak to them. It's how you treat them. It's how you spend time with them. It's how you take care of them when they age and become the other side of the cycle. All of those things. Okay? And no, that's not easy. And the last one, he comes back to dads. Now, you can... These responsibilities are true for moms and dads, but he says fathers, and I think it's because this headship theme is running throughout, and I think these are in order. I think they are in order of priority. Marriage, then parenting, uh, and then children being under the parents, and then he comes back to fathers one more time to just really remind dads, you have to be careful about how you speak to your kids and how you treat your kids. Your attitude towards them shapes them not that moms don't. Moms, obviously, that nurture is so needed because dads just aren't good at it. And there's a whole list of things we're not good at. But he says, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. He says the same thing in Ephesians in another way. So here's what we, what do, we do with our kids. We disciple our kids. That means teach. Teach with purpose teach with God in mind we discipline our children if you don't love your kids don't discipline them just be their friend just hang out we discipline them we disciple them we discipline them but we do not discourage them how do you discourage them you crush their spirit you dominate them you bully them you speak only negative to them. You don't build them up. You tear them down. This is part of why we have so many hurt, hurting kids in our culture today. Because dads have not done a great job. I love seeing dads do great jobs with their kids. And I see it all over the people in this room. I see it all over the place. I do. And I'm grateful. Because it impacts not only your kids, but your grandkids. And, and the and the cities in which they live. So let's go back to finish this up. The wise man built his house on the rock. The design of the family, building it on God's word, which is way more than what we just touched on, but this is kind of the essence of what he's saying, nuts and bolts, will lead to no matter what storms come your way in life, you will stand. Your house your home, your family, your life will stand in the midst of the storms. And the di- storms come from above, the rains, they come from the floodwaters below, the winds blowing. This is a chaotic life. Imagine being in Ukraine right now, and what's to say our country isn't next? Who knows? You just don't know. We just like to think that that can't happen. Are you ready if it does? Are you, is your life built on the rock of God's design? it starts with your relationship with god the cross is a helpful picture for me in another reason the up and down the up and down part of the cross reminds me that i need to have a good vertical relationship with god my relationship with god is first it's primary everything hinges on that when that is working when i have been reconciled to god he's forgiven me for my sins then I can begin to see healing happen in my horizontal relationships. Family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. And even if they don't reconcile with me, I'm in a place where I'm okay with that because I've been reconciled to my creator. You see it? It's all over the scripture. This covenantal relationship. Marriage is not a contract between two people who are going, well, if you'll be faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. But if you stop being faithful to me, then I'm not gonna be faithful to you. That's a contract, and that is not marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship. It says, I'm going to be faithful to you even if you're unfaithful to me. That's supposed to be a picture of our relationship with God. God is going to be faithful to me even if I'm unfaithful to him. This is why I repent, often of my sins believing that he will forgive me because he says this in his word if you confess your sins to him he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness he'll purify your heart and he will reestablish that beautiful fellowship that flows out of that eternal relationship that we have when we surrender our lives to Christ and that is a picture of God's design for family. Let's pray. Lord God, it is it is humbling to stand here and to speak as if I've got this figured out. It is humbling to stand here before these folks, many of whom are doing what I just preached and doing it way better than me. And yet, Lord, I know that we all could probably use some help in this one. Whether, we are, or whether we've started a family yet or not, we know that to, do, to be these kind of people, to, to, to be this kind of a family, it requires supernatural help from our creator, from you. And so right now, Lord, we each are asking from you for something. And it's going to vary all over the room. But Lord, on behalf of all of us, I just want to ask for your mercy, for your forgiveness, for where we have failed in being parents or kids or grandparents or whatever part of the family our role was, brother, sister, we've, we've not been great at this. And we just come to you and we confess that right now we admit that but more than just confessing it lord we want to repent of it which means we want to not just agree with you that it's wrong but we want to make uh, we want to turn around and go the other way we want to walk in your ways we want to walk by your design we want to love and respect each other as christ calls us to And we admit we can't do this without you. And so, Lord, right now, we ask you, Lord, to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to fill us with your spirit that we may walk in the power and the spirit of Jesus Christ and be the person you created us to be by grace through faith. We don't deserve it, but Jesus died on the cross so that we could receive this gift. We ask for this gift right now in Jesus' name. Amen.